how much cocaine is too much cocaine? Like, do you have to like bury when your you face, die? Like, I think that that's enough. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. But I mean, like, how do you get there? Are you like burying your face like Tony Montana? Yeah, I was just into, thinking. Like, a giant pile. Like he had to have been falling so hard. Like he had to be just out of control. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on. One of you nuts has got any guts. Let's put a smile on that face. You're only as healthy as you feel. Listen to me! Listen to you, but what right? Because I have a right to be. I have a voice! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. So this week, we are taking a look at the movie... Blow, and who better to talk about Blow than Hyro of the True Romance Film Podcast? Welcome to the show, Hyro. Is this a cocaine joke or a fellatio joke? I, I just mean, you could really take it either way, or both. I mean, why limit yourself? I mean, fair. one does lead to the other. I mean, let's be fair. Well, one kind of hinders the other because yeah, they the could. side effect it's true. is uh, oh, not so a good Oh, so you know one. all about the side effects. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I'm a voracious reader, sir. Oh, okay. I'm a voracious that must be what it is. All right, so for the few people listen to my show who don't recognize you or your voice, why don't you tell them about your podcast and where they can listen? Well, uh, we are part of the following film networks. We are the True Romance Film Podcast. Uh, it's me and my buddy Barry, you know, being drunk, uh, talking about films from a layman's perspective, you know, just kind of uh, cutting off all the rough edges and just getting down to the brass tacks. So. You can find us on Following Films. You can find us on Google and anywhere else you download podcasts. True Romance Film Podcast. And you can find us. Nice. So for this episode, like I mentioned, we're talking about blow and we're talking about fatherhood. So two things you know a lot about, being a dad and doing a lot of cocaine, obviously. So we had to have you on the show. Can you not so... slander me, please? <laughs> oh, you want <laughs> me to wait until... <laughs> Uh, like anyone listens. Um, so before True. I get into the psychology of fatherhood, do you have a couple movie recommendations for us? I do, and I do, and I'm very proud of these. Uh, oh, I'm so, ready, okay. So I've been uh, like uh, hammering at you for about a week, you know, through text, through Twitter, through your appearance on our show about Vicky Cristina Barcelona starring Penelope Cruz. And I want to put it on your podcast, too, that you really need to go check this out. So now I have to. (laughs) You have to. You have to. Written and directed by Woody Allen. Um, Just a really great film. Just like a small focus film. You know, it's all about the characters and the interactions and stuff like that. And uh, just an excessively charming Javier Bardem in this movie. Like, if you took Javier Bardem and turned him to an 11 in the charm factor, this is where he's at, man. This is... He's easily at his best here um and the other one that i'm really proud of here is uh cocaine cowboys have you ever heard of this documentary it sounds familiar but i wouldn't know what it was about i mean i can have some idea i'm sure but so (laughs) it's uh directed by billy corbin who is a you know a very prolific uh documentarian he did the uh the u30 for 30 films um he's done a a bunch of other stuff no wonder you like him the u okay it all makes cocaine cowboys is a phenomenal phenomenal film it basically tracks the um the rise of the drug trade in south florida particularly miami in the late 70s early 80s so a lot of these characters that you're that you're talking about when you're talking about pablo escobar and the ochoas and uh and carlos later 
when you look at their underlings in Miami and you look at how that impacted the growth of Miami and the boom and the change from like this retirement community to the, this big sort of mecca of a city um, with the influx of, of drug dollars and, and kind of the crime element and stuff. It's just hmm. when you talk about documentaries, you know, there's so many of them now. They're like kind of ubiquitous all over the net. Yeah. I feel that you have to add something and the movie has tons of style. Okay. Um, so it, which it, is it's rare. Great stuff. I feel right. like a lot of documentaries are pretty straightforward and it's all about yeah. like, is this an interesting story or not? It's the filmmakers few and far between who can take a documentary and, you know, make it look more like, you know, a narrative film in that way to kind of give it that extra something. Right. It definitely goes beyond the uh, talking heads and all that stuff. And it's got, when you see it, I mean, it's streaming on Netflix. There's actually, um, various versions of this there's there's cooking cowboys and there's cooking cowboys reloaded where uh billy corbin had so much footage that he's got like he could make multiple nine-hour films of this mm-hmm. so it's a two-hour film but he could he do the ken burns thing but he's trimming yeah. it down yeah absolutely right. so you know on top of it being a great film if you watch if you do watch it dave you know what you need to do is go back to episode 49 of the True Romance Film Podcast Jesus. where I actually interviewed Billy Corbin and we oh. discussed this film at length. And okay. it was a really good discussion. Um, it was really early, kind of early on in the podcast and stuff. So uh, I don't think it got enough love as, as it should have. And I, I had a really good time on that interview. So, uh, yeah, nice. Cooking Cowboys is what I'm recommended here. So Vicky Cristina Barcelona was that. Uh, solely recommended because of the star of it, because of Penelope Cruz, or is there another connection? Or is no, it, for me, I mean, I'm just okay. a lazy bastard. Right. I went with uh, Penelope Cruz. <laughs> I love you. The, went the from one. I'm really proud of these choices to I'm a lazy bastard in like four minutes. That's good. <laughs> well, Cooking Cowboys was the proud. Oh, okay. And then, you know, Vicky Cristina Barcelona was the you know, you know the cherry on the, top. The, it's fine. The, the, literally, the sex stuff. You know. <laughs> All but, right. I'm All right. To sell you for days. <laughs> So we're going to take a break. Uh, I will talk about fatherhood and then we'll bring Hyro back to talk about Blow. Shannon, CG, Lauren, and Mel form the Nerds of Prey. A group of ladies bonded by comics, gaming, film, television, and fandom culture. Hang out with them bi-weekly as they dig into the very things that make them loud and proud nerds. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Also, check out their Patreon at patreon.com backslash nerds of prey. Okay, so it's time for the psychology section. So today we are talking about fatherhood. And and I don't think I need to explain what fatherhood is. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. So the first thing we're going to go into is an article from Dr. Oliker from Psychology Today called The Importance of Fathers. So what this article is really focusing on is how fatherhood has changed. So with the social and technical and economic changes of the 20th century, there came a, a change in the structure and the function of the, fam- of the family. And because of that, there's a shift in the authority of the father. Before this time, in general, fathers were heads of families and had all of the authority. So now the influence of the father is increasingly seen as more minor and his importance is defined by, is defined by how well he provides for the family. Another factor in this diminished role of dads was the new field of psychology in that time. A lot of research studies didn't actually place a lot of importance on the role of fatherhood, and their influence on the development and growth of the child was often reported as insignificant. Parent used to be used just as a term to describe mother, 
and only a small amount of these parent-child studies investigated the dad's role, and the few studies that were done focused on the father's involvement, but only as reported by the mother of the child. So one example of this, there was a number of studies that used over 2,000 parents who responded to questions about parenting, and not a single father was interviewed. But as far as psychology goes, it kind of swung back the other direction in the 1970s. So they designed new studies that actually began to support the impact of fathers on their kids. So what about now? So according to a report in something called Fathers and Their Impact on Children's Well-Being, they said even from birth, children who have an involved dad are much more likely to be emotionally secure, be confident enough to explore their surroundings, and when they grow older, have better social connections. So actually, the way in which dads play with their kids has a really important impact on a child's emotional and social development. They've actually found that dads tend to spend a higher percentage of their one-to-one interactions with their young kids in stimulating playful activity as compared to moms. And from these interactions, the kids learn how to regulate their feelings and behavior because the more kids play, the more they're going to feel these kind of extreme emotions because they get really excited. So kids with involved caring fathers also have better educational outcomes. So the influence of a dad's involvement extends into adolescence and young adulthood as well. There's a lot of studies that find that an active and nurturing style fathering is associated with better verbal skills, higher higher intellectual functioning, and higher academic achievement among adolescents. So we do know now that dads play an important role in their children's lives. But the majority of studies actually affirm that an involved father can play a crucial role, particularly in cognitive, behavioral, and general health and well-being of a child's life. And having a positive male role model will help an adolescent boy develop positive gender role characteristics. And young girls are more likely to form positive opinions of men and are better able to relate to them when their dad is involved. It's also generally accepted under most circumstances that a dad's presence and involvement is crucial to a child's healthy development just as much as the mother's is, and that if you experience validation of their importance in the general parenting literature, it has actually made dads more conscious of their own value and leads to a greater desire for them to be involved in their children's lives. But it's important to note that there's a huge gap between research results and true acceptance of the value of fathers. A lot of fathers express this feeling that they continue to be what they would call second-class citizens in the world of their children. Lots of books, magazines, television shows are filled with information about and for mothers and mothering. And how many do you really see about fathers? Not not too many, and it's only recently that domestic courts, after recognizing the research on parenting and fathers and how important they are to their kids' lives, they've moved to slightly more equal child custody decisions. Dads who want to become more involved in their children's lives often will hit barriers from employers, too, because it's expected that women will take time off to take care of their kids when they're first born, but it's not expected for men. So there's a lot of there's a lot of research out there that is showing that dads are really really important, but the real world hasn't really caught up quite yet. We're making some progress, but it's it's going to take a long time until we have that kind of true equality of mothers versus fathers. So now we're going to learn how becoming a dad actually changes your brain. There was actually an article on Wired.com in 2014 uh, where they actually took a look at like a, a real study, not just something from you know, a website anyone can access about what really happens. So at this point, there was a new paper that had just been published in 2014 that was looking at brain changes associated with fatherhood. Before this period of time, nearly all human 
Research on the neural effects of parenting has been focused on mothers, like we just talked about. There's a lot of research on moms, not a lot on dads. So at the University of Denver, there was a researcher named Pilyung Kim, worked at University of Denver and Yale. And what they did was they scanned the brains of 16 new dads, and seven of them were first-time dads. So the first scan took place between two and four weeks after the babies were born, and the second scan, 12 to 16 weeks later. Older research has shown functional changes in the brains of fathers in the way that they show heightened neural activity in response when they look at their infants. But this was the first study that where researchers had documented actual structural changes in the brains of human fathers. So when they compared the later scan with the first scan, the team of researchers found increased gray matter volume in a bunch of different regions of the father's brains. So this included areas that were had been previously identified as showing growth in new moms, including the striatum, which is involved in reward processing, the hypothalamus, which is hormonal control, the amygdala and interior cingulate cortex, which is involved in emotional processing, and the lateral prefrontal cortex, also called the PFC, which is involved in memory and decision-making. The PFC is an area that has been associated with heightened activity when the fathers see their infants. There was earlier research on monkeys that has also shown an increase in branching between neurons in the PFC in monkey fathers. So what does this really mean? What do all these brain changes mean? So it's hard to really know. But what they point out in their research is that animal research implicates many of these neural regions as important for attachment and nurturing. These changes might reflect the new and powerful connection of babies to their fathers. But which comes first, that connection or the brain changes? So this new research also uncovered a bunch of other regions that appear to shrink in early fatherhood. The regions displaying reduced gray matter volume include the medial prefrontal cortex, the postcentral sulcus, and the inferior parietal cortex. And all of these are considered part of what's called, in the scientific world, the default mode network. So this group of brain parts, these regions, they get more active as we switch off from the outside world. So these researchers speculated that the shrinking of these brain regions could reflect a kind of shift of resources away from this default mode network in line with the father's new focus on their offspring. Other regions that showed this kind of shrinkage of gray matter included the orbital frontal cortex and the left insula. So these regions um, were previously implicated in anxiety. And the researchers speculated here that this shrinking could reflect a diminishing of father's anxiety over the first few months of their infant's lives. And that makes perfect sense, right? When, you're, when your child is first born, they are not in any way safe. Like everything is a danger and you have to be really aware of everything that comes near them. Whereas as they get a little bit older, you, they're a little bit more safe. They're certainly not safe. There's certainly a lot of dangers, but you're probably a little less anxious. And supporting this interpretation, dads who were bolder in their physical play with their kids tended to have more of a reduction of the OFC. So another part of this research was to compare father's changes, brain changes with their levels of depression. So very recently, psychologists have fully recognized that fathers, just like mothers, are at risk of depression after their children are born. The data here showed that greater volume increases in the striatum and the ACC were associated with lower depression scores. But none of the fathers in this study showed serious signs of depression, so you can't really take much from this particular result. So all this research is really preliminary. It's a really small sample size. There's no control group. There's a lot of problems with this. But, but it's really important that in the field of neuroscience that they're actually taking interest in fatherhood. Because like we just talked about, for 
decades, centuries, we would only look at mothers. And, you know, we're finally seeing that dads are a really important part of this process. And we're even now seeing with this study that the father's brain is affected. It's not purely a psychological thing. This is also a physical reaction, just like a mother would have. So I think it's important to see that because of brain changes, men are bonding to their kids just like women are. All right. So I think, you know, we'll talk about this a lot more when we get to that part of the episode, but fatherhood's a really important theme here and it really affects our main character, both in how he was raised. And I think the, the difference between his mother and father really played a huge role in in both difficulties he had and successes that he had. And I think we can see later that, you know, he is changed uh, because of being a father. And I think it's really interesting that the research kind of backs this up, that this is not just like, oh, he's changed because, you know, there's this psychological connection and it's his, it's his kid, but there is an actual physical component here. There's an actual brain change going on. Of course, there's probably all sorts of brain changes going on given the amount of drugs that our main character is using, but there's some brain changes going on simply because he's a father as well. All right. So that's it for our psychology section. We're going to take a little break and then come back with Hiro of the True Bromance Film Podcast to talk about Blow. Hello, my name is Andrew. I'm the host of The Last New Wave, the podcast that looks at the wide and varied nature of Australian cinema. If you've ever seen an Australian film and thought, man, I wish more people could see that, then this show aims to do just that. By bringing you reviews of the latest Australian films, as well as retrospective looks at notable and forgotten films from Australia's history, The Last New Wave aims to help further the audience of Australian cinema. We also aim to deliver looks behind the scenes with interviews with directors, producers, and actors of Australian films, such as the director of The Man from Hong Kong, Brian Trenchard-Smith, and the director of All This Mayhem, Eddie Martin. So, make sure to check out The Last New Wave by heading over to AB filmreview.com for episodes or following on twitter or facebook at the last new wave all right so so we're back we're back to talk about the movie so as, as always let's kind of talk about our history with this movie so is this a first time watch for you or is this something that you've watched over and over again Hiram? this is something i've watched over and over i'm a i'm actually like a big consumer of drug films <laughs> particularly a you big know, consumer the, of blow is that <laughs> yeah i'm a big consumer of blow uh i i i love these stories you know i kind of i grew up in south miami um in the early 80s you know early 90s i, I lived there so it, it kind of shaped my surroundings i wasn't directly involved in any of this nonsense but i was tangentially sort of touched mm-hmm. by a lot of these activities my dad worked in a bar that is actually mentioned in Koki Cowboys as being like one of the like meccas where all the big big dogs would go to hang out and and you know interact with all the stars and all these uh, these you know beautiful women and all that stuff. So uh, you know tangentially, I kind of have a a you know persp- uh, a, a connection here. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I saw it when it first came out in the theater, loved it. I still do. It, it holds up really well. I think that on this viewing though. I found a lot more in it than I had in the past hmm. when it comes to sort of the construction of the film and, okay. and what the director was doing. So for me, so this is kind of embarrassing and it's not embarrassing because I hadn't seen it before. I don't care about that. That doesn't, I mean, there's like a million movies I haven't seen, but I remember when this came out and thinking like, I'm going to love that movie. I should go see that. And then totally missed it and then ended up blind buying it as soon as it came out on Blu-ray and then never fucking watched it. Like, it just sat on the shelf, and I was never, like, in the mood for it or whatever, and I was like, you know, here's a really good excuse 
This is, I mean, I think I've said this on the show before. This is what I use this show for. It's an excuse to watch those movies that I should have watched by now. So this like falls in that category. And, you know, in watching it, this, in watching it, like I, I liked it. I wouldn't go as far as to say I loved it. I mean, I think it, we'll talk about it, but I think it liberally borrows its style from other movies. Like there's not, to me, there's not a lot that makes this stand out and it wouldn't be, I don't know if there would be something that I would go back to time and time again. Um, but it's like, it's a solid movie and it's a good movie about, about the topic it's dealing with. Like, I think it does a good job with handling the material. Um, so let's jump into the direction first off. So this is directed by Ted Demi. Uh, so let's just get this out of the way quick. Like this is really fucked up. Uh, the fact that Ted Demi directed this and not that long after this, like died of a cocaine overdose, like at 30, at 38, like, you know, had too much cocaine and his heart stopped. So the fact that he, I mean, like. How much cocaine is too much cocaine? Like, do you have to like bury when you die? Like, I think that that's enough. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. But I mean, like, how do you get there? Are you like burying your face like Tony Montana? Yeah, I was just into, thinking. Like, a giant pile. Like he had to have been falling so hard. Like he had to be just out of control. Yeah, I, he just uh, he got into the making of his movie a little too much, I think. But uh, apparently, so. But like Demi is uh, Jonathan Demi's nephew. Yeah. So uh, I found that out. Doing my look at you doing research. I'd love it. Hey man, I respect your show, buddy. I I come here prepared. (laughs) So, what did you think of Ted Demi's direction here? So, I found him to be a student of film. You know, I like you're talking about like borrowing styles and that sort of thing. I think he's borrowing from one of your favorite movies too. From Goodfellas. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's the first thing I thought. The first thirty-five minutes of this movie, I was like, "Man, you want to be?" And the fact that he cast. Ray Liotta in a big role, yeah. like certainly doesn't help, you know, distance yourself from that. There's a scene towards the back end where he's he's going to the hospital for uh, the, pre- the the birth of his child that is almost lifted right out of the the drug fueled sequence mm-hmm. in the end of Goodfellas, where yeah. the frantic maybe with the know, helicopter kind of cuts, overhead, like that yeah, the helicopters yeah. overhead, and, yeah. and and the the noise from the music and. He's just – it's lifted right out of there. But I never, like, realized how technically showy this movie is. Mm-hmm. Um, the the camera shots are, like, subtly busy. Like, if you look at it from a from a camera perspective, mm-hmm. you see, like, the, the zoom in and out and, and sliding around Johnny Depp and sliding around the characters and things like that. Um, even, like, the sex scene where he has sex for the first time with Penelope Cruz. <laughs> that scene is – insane the way that scene is shot you do there's a lot going on i mean not that i wouldn't be paying attention to those two beautiful people having sex on screen but there's a lot going on there yeah and like if i had it on the screen and my my daughter's running by and i totally forgot about the sequence and i had to like shield her eyes because there's penelope cruz in her snm outfit yep and there's you know (laughs) they're doing crazy shit and it kind of uh, that kind of direction and that kind of style, I appreciated it, man. I think it added a little something to to the storytelling and and heightened the the feelings that you're supposed to have when you have these moments. Like you're having this passionate love affair with this woman. Of course, you're gonna just go balls to the walls and have these crazy events. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're having a breakdown over drugs, of course, you're gonna go, you know, batshit crazy. I also really appreciated 
the change in stock and the change in style as the I have, a, no, I have a note on that. Like where, so, like when it's the 1970s versus the 1980s, like you don't yeah. need an overlay on the screen. You don't even need the amazing costumes that are in this movie. You know, right away, as soon as the scene opens, like, Oh, we have moved forward in time here. And not every director can do that. Usually most directors just lean on the, like, you know, nine years later, 1982, like, but instead here, right. we figure it out just from what's being shown on screen. Yeah, like the the fifty sequence looks like something it was done like a super eight or something, and then like mm-hmm. exposed in a funky way. You know me, man. I'm not Captain, you know, dolly shots and all that I was crap. But for it. <laughs> it's evident. It's right there. It smacks you in the face. Mm-hmm. The music and the uh, the aesthetic of the film, the look of it all. And you mentioned the the outfits, man. Oof, oh, we'll get Johnny there. Depp we'll get style. there in uh, in production value. We'll we'll. Throw I that hope that when you tweet next. this out, like you're just sending tons of pictures of Johnny Depp's outfits and oh, all man. of the looks. That That'll get a, quite a reaction on Twitter. <laughs> Johnny Depp is not America's favorite son anymore. You can't just oh. like pump up Johnny Depp anymore. Um, I don't know, man. You put that little uh, Where's Waldo shirt with the sew up top. <laughs> Your favorite. It might convince people to switch. <laughs> One thing I noticed here, too, is that I think more than anything, the the thing that is most lovingly shot is money in this movie. There's a lot of shots of, like, money being stacked up and money being, you know, put in these areas of the house. And the way the ca- – it's interesting, like, the way the camera lingers on – on these shots of dollar bills as opposed to anything else. And it, and it really puts forward this image of like, this is what's important here. This is, this is the goal. And this is, this is what tells uh, George that he's a success. And we'll talk about this more when we get to the, the theme, but I find it so interesting how he, especially at the beginning of the film is so desperate to do anything different than what his family did. Even if that was like, you know, the best they could do at the time, he wanted to do something big and to be noticed. And I think that comes across in the way the film is shot. Right. And it definitely helps inform the, like the theme that you're talking about of, you know, trying to supersede what your dad did, you know, and then all that stuff. And he's definitely got daddy issues a little bit here, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. He's got mommy and daddy issues. Cause mom wasn't exactly, Oh man. You know, she's she's a, a sweetheart. Isn't she? She's oh. good. God. And she's played really well though. I mean, by, uh, by well, Rachel, Rachel Griffiths. Griffiths. I believe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the last thing I wanted to mention, I think is, um, there's a, actually from a directorial perspective, there's some really interesting blocking that's going on here. There's a scene where in the beginning where he's first, you know, I think it's when he's first going to go and try and buy a bunch of drugs off of, you know, the kind of stereotypical 1970s gay drug dealer that we have here kind of played to love the hilt. Him. Oh, he's great. Way, he's, we'll get to that in the acting part. Yeah, he's one of the best parts of the movie for sure. Um, but as as he kind of crosses the screen, you see Tuna like move backwards. Like, it's actually, I mean, it's noticeable, but it's not way over the top. And given the time period and, like, what what masculinity was at that time, it made perfect sense. And you didn't need a line of dialogue. You didn't need something obvious about, like, don't touch me or keep keep that bag away from me. Like, none of that. It was just, like, I'm just going to move to the back of the shot. And I thought, like, I mean, who knows if that's an acting choice or that's a directing choice. But I really liked that that was in there to kind of set up the uh the kind of the view of people of different sexualities during that time yeah i mean you, you definitely get a lot of the stuff like that i i watched the uh the commentary version uh well, at least half of it with the commentary on and it was amazing the little touches that that went into this you know uh the the way he was like zooming in and out and that kind of stuff 
really I didn't notice until he starts talking about it. And, he, and you know, you you referenced the homages or the the the, the ripping of other stuff. He talks about that. Like he mm. actively talks about like, hey man, we see it. Yeah, I loved X Y Z. I borrowed it from whatever. And uh, you know, there's a lot of little things just like that, man. The way, the way, what's his name is framed. Uh, Paul Rubens' character is uh, Derek for real, I believe his mm-hmm. called is. Oh yep. my god, just just fantastic. So yeah, I, I I'm with you, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's move to the acting. So we'll start with America's Sweetheart, Johnny Depp. Uh, and I think people, it's easy to forget, uh, especially not just because of things that have gone on in his personal life, but like some of the roles he has chosen in the past decade have been really a cartoon. I mean, yeah, just awful. I mean, when your best performances are cartoony pirates, I mean, that's, that's the best that he's doing. He's doing a lot of other really bad stuff. Um, but back in, back when this came out, like he was one of our best actors and you could really see it here. It's an, an ama- it's an amazing performance. Like I I really was impressed by it. Like despite kind of you have this moment I think sometimes of not wanting to uh cuz you know who he is kind of gets in the way. But you remember when this movie came out like he was kind of on this role where he couldn't really do any wrong. Right. Yeah. This movie hangs its hat on the protagonist or quote unquote the protagonist He's not a bad guy, so, but he's just a, doing really bad things. Mm-hmm. You, it, it, what this movie does with the audience is have you root for a guy that is obviously, you know, fueling one of the most violent things that has happened in American culture mm-hmm. or in global culture. Let's you know, let's not forget what it's done to like South America and all that stuff. And right, he's got to sell that likability. Yep. You know, Johnny Depp has to like sell that. He has to be uh, kind in the face and 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 also a good salesman yep. to 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 keep the audience on his side. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes about about his daughter. You know, like that that mm-hmm. passion, that love he has for his daughter, and all that stuff. And uh, I think that he does a fantastic job of it, man. I mean, he's we we like you said, man. We forget how good Johnny Depp, quote unquote, was. Hopefully, right. man, maybe he can fix his his life and shit and get back to, you know, not being the Mad Hatter part six or whatever it is he's doing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, 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 this entire thing hinges on us liking him while he's doing dirt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just I don't have that much to say about Johnny Depp's performance. He is one of those actors that when he's at his best, just kind of disappears into a role. Uh, and I think he does that here. Like there's there's definitely moments here where you forget that Johnny Depp is on screen. And for someone who is that big of a megastar, like that's that's pretty impressive work. Uh, right. But I think from here, just for you, we'll go to Penelope Cruz next. Um, mm. So one of, actually one of my favorite moments that I didn't mention in the direction is the way that she is filmed when they're first introduced. Like it's like a you know, uh, what's that? Uh, It's like a West Side Story moment, right? Where they're across the room from each other and they can only see one another. And the camera really lingers on the two of them. And she, of course, as always, looks completely stunning. And I thought in my head, it was kind of laughing to myself. uh, I bet Hyra's watching this, kind of trying to figure out who has the best best hair between Johnny Depp and and Penelope Cruz. Johnny Depp is the correct answer. Johnny Depp... (laughs) It is absolutely throughout the entire film, whether he has bangs or the, the flop or whatever. They really, the, they really went the all out. Inch, 
mutton pork chop sideburns, yeah. Johnny Depp is the correct answer here. Yeah, but it's interesting. We had been talking before I saw this movie that I had seen Penelope Cruz in very many things. Like she's one of those. I think you know she she kind of shot to the forefront of of Hollywood. I think back when back when she and Johnny Depp had kind of hooked up, and then she you know was on the arm of Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think probably around this time. And then she was with Tom Cruise for a while. So I kind of saw her in connection with those two stars. And that's kind of it. But I was actually really impressed with this with this performance. Like, I think it's interesting because it's this really measured performance until that scene in the car. <laughs> until the ultimate yeah. freak out. And it is like, oh, wow, things just got really real for George here. Um, but even though it was over the top, like I didn't find that I, that scene didn't put me off and it very easily could have because it's so loud and so big. And you're just like, oh, man, you have lost your mind. But you need him to have that fall, I think, for the story to work. For me, this movie kind of and particularly her character and and the, and the uh, most of the the female characters in this movie really struck a chord with me because I'm a Latin American dude. I grew up in Miami. And uh, a lot of the ladies that I dated behaved like this. <laughs> and they had these like very explosive and fiery personalities. And uh, one minute you're hanging out and the next minute it's like this giant explosion. It's not just Penelope Cruz in the car. You've got the girlfriend or, or future wife to uh, to Jordi Moya's character. I forget what the, what, the guy, what, what his name is. But there's that sequence where they're on the couch and they're arguing where they're oh, trying to make a right. Jesus. And she slaps the shit out of him. And he just turns around and slaps the shit up at her. And it's just so familiar to me, man. Like, this is exactly how it goes. It's just this pure firebrand mm-hmm. stuff that comes out of, I mean, the women that I know from my my <laughs> days in Miami, man. Like, my dating days. It was just a bonkers sort of thing. And she really encompasses that. I think that the best, uh, the best kudos that I could give to Penelope Cruz is that when she's going on her rants, like there's a rant where she's uh, doing coke and she's like pregnant, yes. and he, she he's like, "Hey man, could you at least back off the coke? <laughs> yeah, maybe like, maybe pregnant. slow down a little bit since you're pregnant." Off the brakes, lady. <laughs> she turns around, she calls him a hypocrite, <laughs> and I can't tell if she says it that way normally because it's so, or authentic. if that was a choice. Yeah, if that's a choice. Right. Oh, you're such a hypocrite. Like, <laughs> like oh, oh, loved it, man. I yeah. thought her performance was fantastic. I think she's, she's. I mean, I know. I, I don't. I don't see her that often anymore. Right. Um. She pops in here and there, but it feels like she's more focused on being a, a mother or right. or her personal life and that stuff. And and you know, cheers on her. But I would love to see her way more often, man. I mean, she has this inherent sort of attractiveness and it goes beyond her physical beauty man yeah. there's just something about her is alluring as shit and mm-hmm. i want to see her way more yeah. um than than we get yeah speaking of people you find alluring let's move to paul rubens i mean i think that's easily the next place to go so i want to you... go to that guy's new year's party yes I that go guy's new year's all party. that guy's like i just want to hang out with that guy that guy knows how to have a good time i mean you don't I mean, want to trust could... him but you know no. <laughs> If you can move that much coke in 36 hours, you have really good connections and really cool friends. Yeah. You know, they've got to be the who's who of Hollywood or L.A. or wherever yep. he's at. And uh, I want to hang out with him. And and 
you know what? You come out with a, probably a good hairstyle when you're done. That's true for sure. I, it's one of those. I actually like. I didn't look at the cast list before we started, and when you said Paul Rubens, I was like, oh yeah, that was fucking Paul Rubens. Like it didn't even didn't even occur to me while I was watching the movie that like, oh, it's fucking Pee Wee. Like it never it never crossed my mind. It's such a good performance, and you get totally lost in it. And he's so charming. Like he out, I think in some ways he outcharms Johnny Depp in this movie, which is saying something. Like he is someone. As soon as he's introduced, you're like you can understand why people want to be close to him and why he kind of runs this little this little group of friends, and you get it right away. Right, and that's why he's the salesman. That's why yep. he is the magic man that that moves these drugs. And um, I don't know what Paul Rubens is like in real life. Like I don't know what his 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 uh, normal behavior is like but it's such a stark contrast to the persona of peewee you know this like flamboyantly gay dude that is like uh just louder than life but then you've got and by the way i meant uh, as peewee and uh, (laughs) either way either way it's a different kind of flamboyant like (laughs) i was just describing i was like oh man wait a minute this could go Yeah, Jesus! I just ruined my own. <laughs> wow, this is horrible. No, but no, I actually, I actually know what you mean though, because like they're very different characters. Yeah, I mean, and you could say like that Pee Wee is flamboyantly gay, but I think Pee Wee is just a flamboyant character in general. Yes. Like he's just yeah, out no, there, sure. and you know, kind of like desperate to be noticed. Whereas this character, it like you could see why people would want to be with him. He's cool. He's smooth. He's fun to be around. Yeah, like absolutely. And doesn't yeah. hide who he is, despite the fact it's, you know, the nineteen late 1970s, maybe, you know, at certain points in this movie. And, you know, maybe not as accepted as it is now to be out and gay. I mean, it probably helped right. that he's on the coast, you know. <laughs> and, and, like... <laughs> and the circles he runs in are probably yes. a little more accepting of his of his uh of his personality and his, his uh, who he is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we can't uh, we can't move past the actor section. I know you won't let me without talking about Cliff Curtis. Um, so you posted he about was, him how he was he was like a godsend in this movie or something, or he's a treasure. Love that guy. No, he, <laughs> he can do I, I any think, accent. He could play any ethnicity. The guy plays every brown person known to man. If you need a brown dude, <laughs> call Cliff. Call it doesn't matter if you're an Iraqi, if you're a Kurd. It doesn't matter if you're Mexican, if you're Colombian, which are – Or know, Maori, like from New Zealand. Belief, it's like... two different things. <laughs> two different things. You know, Mexican and Colombian are not the same. Well, we don't speak Mexican. Not no in this America, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but Cliff Curtis, I, 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 you know, I, I'm a very picky – like I, I have my little nitpicks, you know, like it's hands and teeth and then accents. <laughs> yeah. And his Colombian accent is solid. Yeah. For a dude – and – the slang he uses when he first meets George and he talks to him privately, you have to kill him that dude. And then he goes to talk to Jordy Moya's character. Uh, the, the words that he's using to, to introduce himself are like words that my dad uses. My dad is a hundred percent Colombia. My dad is raised in Bogota. My dad came to the States when, when uh, I was born and, and blah, blah, blah. So my dad is like the thickest Colombian dude you'll ever meet. Right. And all the stuff that, He's saying, I've heard my dad say in the exact same tone a million times. So it's just, man, Cliff Curtis, dude, you are having, you have a small role in this film, but you're Mm -hmm. knocking it out of the park. Like for me, it's like, okay, cool. Pablo Escobar, here you are. 
Right. And it's interesting, like, how subtly he plays that role. Like, it's not grandstanding. It would be really easy to play a role like Pablo Escobar and go way over the top and be ultra violent and be, you know, kind of all over the place. And I like how, and it makes sense given his character, but I like how in control he is at all times. Like, there's not these moments where he's like flying off the handle. He's just like, yeah, that guy has to be killed, so we're going to do it. And that's it. And it's cold blooded and it, it, but it makes sense for who he is and what he does. But I bet a lot of actors would have played that a lot differently. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. What's your take on Cliff Curtis, man? Like when you you look at this guy, he's the Swiss Army knife of brown dudes in movies, right? The Swiss I mean, Army knife of diversity. That's <laughs> Yeah. Like you need a brown dude called Cliff Curtis. At the one time I re- I I love him and I respect him. At the same time, oh, I know I exactly what you mean. Offensive. It you is a little saying? offensive. I it's interesting because it's it's one of those things where he's so good in all these roles that it's hard to get really offended. But he is, you know, taking away roles from people of these different backgrounds and nationalities. Like, right. like you couldn't find one Colombian guy in Hollywood. Like, you, <laughs> like, come on, man, <laughs> please. Like, if you, it, I mean, it's it's the equivalent of throwing a white dude in an Asian dude's role. It's, yeah, it's exactly the same. Uh, 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 like having him play a an Iraqi dude and having him play a Colombian and then having him play a Mexican or, or New Zealand or whatever it is. I want to see him in white face. Equi- That's what I want to see next. I want to see. Yeah, Cliff it's Curtis just play the only guy. thing is the color remains the same. Yeah, and it's slightly offensive that he doesn't get called out more or like yeah. not him personally, but like the casting of him. Yeah, and the people stuff. make these but decisions. It's great. He knocks it out of the park, so fuck it. I love yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, I would like to see Cliff Curtis in the starring role, though. Yeah, yeah. Have him play the Johnny Depp role. Said. <laughs> it's not get crazy. Think he can pull off all the all those hairstyles? I don't know, man. That might be I mean, tough. I, I guarantee you, there's some Brad Pitt roles out there that he can get that he could that he could do. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's move to the script. Let's move to the writing. So one of my favorite bits of writing in this um, is the maybe the first 20, 30 minutes where we go really quickly from him being a kid. Like you get everything you need as far as the parental relationships. Like you honestly, you could never see the parents again and you would get everything you need from this introduction. You know, the mom leaving, the dad like being so in love with her and putting up with her no matter what she does. And that moving into kind of him becoming a drug dealer and then the friend coming from Boston, it all happens really, really quickly but I never felt rushed in those sequences. Like it would be because, I mean, you're talking you're talking 25 years of a person's life in five minutes. But I think that right. stuff all really works. It sets up all that we need to know about George. You've got this voiceover going, you know, obviously George telling his story. Right. But a lot is being done outside of the voiceover and outside of the, the, the dialogue with the behaviors of people. You know, you've got like the behavior, the way the parents interact Mm -hmm. during the 50s versus the way the parents interact in like the early 80s. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a very uh, informative way that they're going about their business. You know, they they, she's obviously frustrated with their lot in life. He's not as successful as he as he should be, maybe promised to be. Right. And, you know, that continues on. But she's kind of accepted it. She's still pretty pissed about it. And but it, it carries on, and a lot of that is has to be in the script because even though it's not being you know espoused through dialogue, it it has to be created in mm-hmm. in that environment because the script is is always going to be more than just dialogue. It's oh yeah, not, they're not equivalents, right? 
Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think it handles all of that really well. The thing I there's there's some choices that the script makes that I'm still honestly like a couple days after I've seen the movie, still not sure how I feel about it. So they make the decision to gloss over some pretty major events in this guy's life. Like the the illness of Barbara and her death. Like we get we start from like she finds out she has cancer and then like the, maybe the next scene is like they're at her graveside. So they don't bother right. with any of her kind of. So, yeah, I, I, I can I guess I, I, I rationalize that by saying he's in prison mm-hmm. during that time frame. So he's removed from. Sure. The pain and it's his that. story, you mean? Yeah, it's so. his story. So he's removed from that. So he's. He's not going through it. You know, he's losing his love, but he's not getting dragged through the mud of, of the, 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 the severe aspects of the illness. Mm-hmm. The other the other thing they gloss over is the scene where he gets caught with a bunch of drugs before he goes to jail. Before he Which it. one? The, the first <laughs> time, time. The first time. Like all of a sudden we just find out like he's been arrested and that's it. And I thought it was an interesting choice that we're, we're showing all this stuff. We have this huge montage of him becoming a drug dealer and him growing up. But we're not going to show the police showing up. Do you think if they if they did shoot that scene, does it um, does it take away from the scene at the end of the movie when he gets caught like at the it wasn't like an airport, but it was like a loading dock where he gets caught. Do you think it takes away from that if we have just a repeat of him getting caught again? No, I don't think it does, man. Uh, I think that it helps to have us, the audience, still sort of side with him or empathize mm. with him. So you feel like rather, if the cops arrested him, we kind yeah. of turn on him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like you mm. see the real ugly side of him, you know, of the bad parts of, of what he's doing, because the whole time you see him as sort of the positive influence. Y- yes. He's a lot of times he's high on drugs and stuff like that, but he's never the one that's being malicious about it. You know, right. even his wife is just like this brutal, she, she gets high and she gets out of control, mm-hmm. you know, all of his friends and stuff like that, they're all conniving. They're trying to cut him out. They're trying to steal his source, all that stuff. All he wants to do is make the deal, right. take his cut, and move along. Even he gets shot, he still was like, hey, man. Let's <laughs> I love that whole it. scene. He's like, it's fine as he's holding this wound. It's cool. Just go over here. Yeah. We'll take care of it. And I think that actually, even though that scene is really funny, like it's an enjoyable scene, I think it does exactly what you're talking about is that it bonds us to him. Because if if he reacts violently in that scene and he pulls out a gun and starts shooting people, then we're like, ooh, I didn't uh, – this is not the movie I thought I was in for because they build right. him up as this character who, even though he's doing terrible things, is overall good-natured and someone yeah. you is really easy to root for because they don't really – I think until maybe halfway through the movie or more – you don't really see any bad side of George, like nope. other than the fact that Never he's dealing. Really see a bad side of like, I mean, I think you, you get a little bit. Wife. Yeah, I think you, you get a little bit of stuff. it with his daughter later in the movie. You know, as they become distant, but I think that's an audience filling something in. The movie is yeah. fully on the side of George from the opening frame even till the end. I think you're supposed to you're supposed to pity him by the end of the movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that uh, everything that that. Uh, that Demi's doing here and, and Cassavetes and the other screenwriters are doing here is is hooking us to him. I think all the way through, even the stuff with the daughter towards the end. I, uh, I mean, we could talk about that in a little bit, but um, I I think that he's meant to be this uh, anti-villain. You know, mm-hmm. he's not the he's not perfect, but he is our hero. You know, he's our he's the guy we're going to latch on to because we, we, we pity him. We empathize with him. 
Yeah. I think uh, one thing that I, you know, it could go in my favorite scenes, but it's not quite there. So I'm going to mention it here. There's there's a really interesting decision that they make. The scene where he first meets Penelope Cruz, you know, he's standing next to her talking to her. There's this obvious flirtation. And then her fiance comes up. The douchebag of all douchebags. Oh, yeah. Too. He's her the fiance worst. has to be the dick. Yeah. And it's another way that the movie makes us root for George. Like, well, right. even if that lady is, you know, engaged, like that guy's the fucking worst. So she can't yeah. be with him. But I love that. Like he tries to interrupt and George refuses to leave until the fiance nope. leaves. Like, he's just like, you know, this pissing contest is going to happen and you're going to blink first. So he just waits for him to eventually leave and then he leaves. And I'm like, that's kind of a dick move, but I'm kind of impressed. Like, right. especially because Johnny Depp is, how can I say this? He's not exactly intimidating. Like, he's not a big dude. He's not someone who looms right. over the screen. He's well, the kind of like a pretty. Yeah. <laughs> the hair might weigh more than he does. Of his. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of little choices like that that really make us like the character. And I think it makes me wonder what this movie would be like. If it was a more honest portrayal of George, if we got the good and the bad, because I doubt he was that nice of a guy. I mean, you don't last in that business being that nice for that long. Right. Uh, yeah, I can't speak to what George Young is like. Um, I mean, he's on the commentary and you see some of the stuff. I mean, you have to be kind of an asshole to keep going back to the well when <laughs> <Yes>. you, <laughs> quote unquote, love your daughter that much, when you have that much on the line. You have to be a little bit of a dick to just keep doing it and keep going back mm-hmm. to the jail and all that stuff, man. Like, just you don't fucking go back groceries or some shit, man. You gotta have a line different. where suddenly you're like, okay, I gotta take care of my kid and I gotta, yeah. I gotta stay out of jail. You know, especially after he's promised her, like he's gonna the you know, worst, the most painful shit in the movie. Oh, so brutal. So that scene with his daughter where he promises her. Do you feel like that? I mean, one, I think it works emotionally, but do you feel like it makes it obvious that he's going to get arrested very soon? Do you feel like that telegraphs it? That's actually the only thing I didn't like about it is that I was like, okay, I know how this is going to end now. No mystery. I mean, granted, it's a story that you know kind of from the beginning probably isn't going to have a happy ending. But the fact that they kind of put that scene right there, like right before he gets arrested, you know, with, with that crew who has turned him in, I just felt like was a little bit weak and a little bit telegraphed. Yeah, it's a little – he's too emphatic in his yeah. desire to Don't push worry her about your mother. I'll convince her. You can come with me. I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to end well. <laughs> yeah. But I, think other the than, but I think other than that, like I think it's a well-written movie. I think it, it does a really good job of what it set out, sets out to do, which is to make this character who is doing terrible things inherently likable. And some of that is performance, but a lot of that is just written straight into the script. Absolutely, man. Uh, all uh, it, for me, it, it works one hundred percent. So earlier you said that you thought it was good, you didn't love it, but I still haven't gotten to the point because we're just kind of like raving about all yeah, the I good mean, pieces of the movie. Yeah, I'm just, just curious as to where you lose. I mean, I think there is a a good section in the middle of this movie, like basically from the time he becomes a drug dealer and it's really entertaining to the point where he meets Pablo Escobar. There's a lot of dead area in that in that middle section and it took me a while to kind of get back into it and i think cliff curtis's performance kind of woke me up and i was like oh okay it's serious now so i think overall it's a good movie and worth watching it's just not a movie i can imagine watching repeatedly like i don't see myself going back to this i feel like once is enough and that's okay i think there's a lot of good movies that i'm not going to rewatch. and you know yeah. 
And that's all. For sure. So let's, oh, get, understandable. let's get to your favorite part in this episode, which will be the production value. So we could talk about fashion. We could talk about hair. Uh, we could really get into it here. So what did Ooh. you think of the production value? Of oh, that? boy. Johnny Depp and whoever dressed that guy. The glasses he's constantly yep. wearing. They look like uh, right. I mean, they're straight out of the fear and loathing for Las Vegas glasses. Mm-hmm. You know, those big goggle things. Yep. The shirts, the outfits on everybody, not just Johnny Depp. I mean, Derek for real. The way they dress that dude up, wow. And look at how different his character looks. I mean, granted, some of it's the age stuff too, but how different his character dresses at the end of this movie as opposed to the beginning. Like, it's almost like a different character. Like, it's so, it stands out. And it's just like you talked about the film stock stuff where you can automatically tell, you can also automatically tell just by looking at how people are dressed. Like, you know, if it's the 60s, 70s, 80s, like you get it right away. And it's, it would be really easy for it to be silly. And I think it borders on that. Like, I think it gets right up against that level, but never crosses over that line where you're like, oh my God, these people look like, they look like modern people dressed up for a 70s party. Like it never gets to that. The, the, uh, like, George Young, Johnny Depp's character, has that long blonde hair the whole time, mm-hmm. but it morphs yep. throughout and the, the style 80s, you know? changes. And yeah. yeah, the style changes. He's got, the, and then I think it's like in the eighties. He's got like bangs oh, going across. They're rough, it's but they fit the, the time. Worst. They fit the time. Yeah. But as soon as he showed up, I was like, I like recoiled from the screen. Like, oh God, future? what is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sort of, don't don't stop believing. Or what are we doing here? Is this the end of Sopranos? Right. And I think oh. I think with changes like that, sometimes I think this is a this is something positive for these actors too, because sometimes when they're forced to kind of go undergo these costume changes and these hair changes, they're kind of ruled by it, and you can tell they're uncomfortable and you never get that like it all looks very natural and it works for each of them and you never feel like oh they're like oh that's a silly actor under a wig or anything like that right and and there's some setting choices too like when they go to mexico it looks like it could be fucking 30 40 years ago yeah. and, and of course mexico looks like that now but whatever no offense <laughs> jesus <laughs> Can say anything you want. Just end it with no offense. Yeah, absolutely. No offense. <laughs> uh, the airports and stuff like that. There are all these like throwbacky airports. Mm-hmm. Um, the stewardesses. All of the stuff that they're doing, man. It's just, just all well constructed. I, I don't think a, a detail is missed here. Yeah, I think um, actually it's the most impressive part of the movie. I think it's so easy for a period piece, and this is like. A, pe- a piece of three periods like we've got these different decades but it's so easy for any period piece to just be so silly and not convincing with these modern actors but it all it all really works here like you do feel yeah. like you were in that time period and i think there are there are better filmmakers out there who could learn a lot from ted demi and the way he shot this movie i think sometimes if you do different film stock it can be way too over the top and way too obvious but it's actually the changes are really subtle much like the changes are subtle if you watch a movie from the 70s and then watch a movie from the 80s you can tell the difference but it doesn't like slap you in the face and all these changes are well really well done have you ever watched tom and jerry the cartoon yes of course have you ever watched i'm scared of where this is going but I, I've been drinking a little bit, so just let me like. All right, go. So, have you ever tried watching them? Like, you take a snippet of Tom and Cherry from like the sixties, mm. the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, yeah. and you watch that change. 
it, it feels like it's still Tom and Jerry. I mean, yep. you, it's Tom and Jerry. You dive right in. You get the stories and all that stuff. But when you watch them juxtaposed against each other, you feel that passage of time. Mm-hmm. You feel that because they're they're obviously uh, reflections of that time period. And, yep. and, and he captures that here in a film and seamlessly does it. With Tom and Jerry, it's you know decades of of cartoons and all that crap. But here, it's it's a two hour film. We're sitting down and we seamlessly throw flow through time, and a lot of that goes into the production value. There's a um, there's a sequence. I want to say it's the beginning of the eighties, maybe late seventies. There's like a huge party. It's it's around the time when when George finds out that he's been cut out. Uh, you know, it's a mm-hmm. big party and stuff. And there's a obvious uh, like a steady cam shot. That follows Miguel Sandoval's character. Mm-hmm. And he does like that. This, this dance. And oh. he, there's the, the, he's the one of those song. actors who I will always love in every single thing he's in. Oh, love, like he shows guy, up man. and I'm charmed. Like just immediately. Yeah. I mean. Uh, okay. I'm going to get on my fucking social, social so, uh, soapbox here. Why do uh, Latino actors not get more like, like lead roles? roles? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, lead roles because these guys are charming. Yep. Like that cat should be. And he should be like playing the president of the United States somewhere. Yeah. I mean, he's so charming. Yep. I mean, he comes in, he does that little dance, he does a spin, and then he just dives right into like, hey, man, you'd be cut out. You know, just it's so a you boss know. Mode. Yeah. Yeah. Just you know so you why know. that happens, Hyro? Racism. That's why. Sorry. That's just the way it is. We've got to have white presidents on, on, on film, apparently. Unless we're Matthew Vaughn and we're blowing up Obama's head. That's really the only time we get a non-white president. So sorry. <laughs> All right, so let's no, so let's move to just out. You know, again, you just devolve into your racism where you, the white guy, out soapboxes my soapbox. That's right. That's right. You're not like, good you enough. You just had to be superior to me, right? You just had to like stomp the brown guy down. Well, it's right? not that hard. I mean, you know. It doesn't take that much effort. Forgot the no offense. <laughs> nope, sure didn't. Uh, so let's move to favorite scene. So I think my absolute favorite scene in this movie, and it, I mean, I legitimately laughed out loud watching this by myself, the scene where they're trying to find weed in Mexico uh, just destroys me. Like Johnny Depp wandering yeah. around uh, uh, El Weed, like it is fucking fantastic. Like all the different characters trying to figure this out. And, you know, one of them saying it to the wrong person and having to run away from the cops. Like, it's definitely a comedy of errors and could have been too much. But I was so charmed by that whole sequence. No, it's a great it's a great sequence, man, because it's it feels authentic, right? It feels mm-hmm. like the way it's cut, it, you know, it, it feels like a gag reel. Like, yeah, uh, it does. Them kind of doing that it's stuff. It's a montage so, of idiocy. Like, it's just... <laughs> yes, it feels like a gag reel. I'm going to have to go with the scene that I talked about already. It's the sex scene um, where, the you know, the, the, the S&M. But I didn't really touch on it. Like, that shade of red that it's draped mm. in. It's and then also, intermixed with the sex, there's, like, laughter. Like, they're just... Yep. Th- you see them as... In the full gamut of the relationship, there's a passion. Right. Then there's a freak side with the SM shit. But then there's like interaction between them, like as a laughter stuff. Yeah, they like enjoy the each other. Of, yeah. Yes. In the span of like 30 seconds, you get all of that like insane romance that, you know, it's hard to find, but you yeah. get it in, in just a little ball of wax. And it's a cool way. And, you know, I, th- it, and it, I think it, you need it because the, the movie doesn't have time. 
because the it's movie is, thing, yeah. yeah, the movie is not about their relationship. So you have to really quickly show that they are they care about one another, they're sexually compatible, and they enjoy each other's company even when they're not having sex. And you've got to get that done in like three minutes. And it manages to do that, which is why it's so hurtful when my other favorite scene happens, her freak out in the car. Like I just – I could – I think I actually – I hated that sequence. I love it. I went back and watched it again because it was so entertaining to just watch Penelope Cruz let loose. monster. You just oh god! It was and I, but worst. I love. I also love Johnny Depp's reaction, and like he's just like kind of accepted it. Like fuck, he's defeated. I he's guess like, like I guess we're doing this, and the cops are right there. Cool. I guess yeah, this, is this is how what I got. this is how my night's gonna go. You know, and I and I love that that scene could have been written in a way where he reacted strongly, but there's really nothing he can do. He's not going to be able to calm her down. He's not going to be able to get out of this situation, and he's just like, oh well, I guess right. that's where we're at here. So I, I really like that scene. There's a lot of great scenes here also. I mean, uh, towards the end of the movie when when his friends rat him out and stuff and the police bust in, mm-hmm. if you watch it, the light the shines right on him. Scene, yeah. And yeah. everybody fades away and walks out. Uh, just a really beautifully framed – I don't think I've ever seen that before. It's very like, – it, it comes off more as something you'd see in a stage play rather than, yes, rather than a film. And I really right. liked it, and it was interesting because it's the only time in the movie where the director does anything like that. Um, so it, it did have a moment where it kind of took me out of it for a little bit, but I ended up really liking that decision right. from Demi. Like I, I dug that a lot. Yeah, and then obviously for me, the last one is the uh, the, the delusional. He thinks he's talking to his daughter thing at the oh, very very end. That's rough, man. Oh, <laughs> it's God. so brutal because I fucking dumbly fucking bought into it. I was like, oh. They're connecting his daughter, can't, and then it just like fades off, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, she's gonna come tomorrow." And I'm like, "Ooh, man, this is brutal." Yeah, no. Like, that's she not... might not show up, buddy. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. So that actually leads us perfectly into our theme, which is fatherhood. So I think there's a couple of ways that it, you know, pretty obviously shows up. I mean, you've got his relationship with his dad, played by Ray Liotta, um, and then you've got his. Not only his relationship with his daughter, but how much he changes when his daughter is born. So I thought, like, actually, does he really? Well, he says he does, um, and it's mm-hmm. actually one of the reasons I wanted to bring on someone who was a father because I don't know what that's like to have that moment where you see your daughter being born and your life and your world is kind of turned upside down. So how did did you feel like that moment worked, or did you feel like because he didn't change enough that scene ends up bringing false? I think it, it it works, man. I mean, fatherhood is different for for everyone. Like for me, it, it, it's a lot different than what's portrayed here on film. You know, I know that there are numerous men that, when they see their daughter born, it's this it's this like epiphany. It's this grand moment or whatever. For me, honestly, the birth of my kids, it's not that way. I'm like, oh man, get this shit out of here. Uh, <laughs> And I, but I like. After I hope we save about, this for your children to listen to when yeah, they get old enough. Yeah, they can listen to it. Like, but they grow on me, and they and it it that connection like hooks me after a little bit of time. Like, I I'm not that guy that, that just fawns over his kids like right away. Like as, as they pop out of the glory hole, like it's not me, right? Um, the but, glory hole, really? No, I don't. Is that that? That's not the Christian name for it. What, what I don't think here? so. I don't. But we'll just so, keep going. <laughs> I. Uh, it took me a little while to connect. You know, it took me a, a, like about a year 
with every single one where I, I truly fell in love. And I, I you know, I, I got to the point where, you know, the sacrificing life sort of thing and you can't live without them sort of thing. So, but it does feel honest, right? It mm-hmm. does. It, it It's not the same for all of us, but it, you recognize the honesty here. Um, so the fact that he can't really change, even though he feels this way about her, it feels okay. Like, right. it, feels, it still feels honest. It's not the way I would do it. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I might stop, you know, moving kilos and kilos of drugs right all over the country but scale it back a little bit george a hair yeah but i do recognize the 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 genuine nature of it yeah i think uh i kind of agree with you and i kind of disagree and it's not through not because of anything you said but there is that moment where his child is being born is done with voiceover like you have the scene and then you have him kind of talking in the background about how much it changed him and as i was watching johnny depp's performance there i don't know i didn't get that i didn't get that he was like stunned into silence because this is so amazing it just looked like again he was really fucked up and high on cocaine and he was just kind of out of it so it kind of struck me as the voiceover comes in to tell us like oh by the way this is really important you know and it didn't really ring true to me and i think i think that's why as the movie goes like you don't really see too much of his interactions with his daughter until he makes that promise like it's birth and then he makes this horrible promise and then they never see each other again so it was tough for me to really connect with that i actually connected more with his relationship with his father and it's it's interesting because you can see from the beginning he doesn't want to be who his dad is right he doesn't want to repeat his mistakes he probably doesn't want to be with a woman like like his mom because she's kind of a treat Uh, but i think I think he even says, like, he wants to be as good of a father as his dad was. Like, I don't think he has anything negative to say about the way his father cared for him. And that's, like, a little bit, like, that's his role model. That's who he looks up to. So that was actually really affecting. And there were, it's interesting, you mentioned, like, the women in this movie are not put in a great light. Like, maybe the daughter, and that's it. And I kept thinking, like, anytime he went to visit his family or his family went to visit him, I was like, man, just get the mom out of here. She is poison. You know, and it's like, and in in essence, and she's a goddamn rat. Oh yeah, and in essence, she kind of, he kind of, in some ways, kind of recreated that. He was also with these women who were not healthy for him, and who do, who you could argue didn't really ever care about him. No, uh, yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent there. God, yeah, the whole thing with the women stuff, man. I mean, even the woman who the, dies of cancer, like before that, like she's uh, not exactly. Yeah wonderful like they're yeah i mean she's a drug runner right yeah (laughs) she's a drug runner that's the bottom line so i mean yeah it's it's i i i do understand what you're saying though about the connection with him and his father's relationship because that is fleshed out much better than Mm -hmm. the 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 the, the stuff with the daughter because the stuff with the daughter is is much quicker and it's it doesn't encompass the entire film like the father's relationship does and like you're saying, it's handled with voiceover, so you don't really get it because you don't. Yeah, he makes some fucking grilled cheese and all this stuff, but you don't really. Is that see not him, enough? <laughs> if it was my grilled cheese, I was gonna say if it was like John Favreau's grilled cheese from Chef, then maybe that's enough. Maybe it's enough, but <laughs> uh, you don't really see him going above and beyond. He, I mean, he can't even like let go of the life for his daughter, right? Um, but with his dad's relationship with him. You see him really, you know, risking his life or risking his freedom to go see his dad. So he right. 
you could tell he loves them. You could tell he wants to a avoid the dad's pitfalls, but b also still be like his dad, like right. love him like he did. Yeah, absolutely. All right, um, so that's it for the movie, and now we'll just talk briefly about the movie we're tying this in with, and you'll have to. Uh, You'll have to tread carefully because you have seen the movie that we're going to talk about. So we're tying it in with American Made, which I'm not going to end up doing an episode about because I'm going to be out of town. So I won't be able to record. But it is something I'm definitely looking forward to, mainly because I think Tom Cruise works really well with Doug Liman. Um, I, I feel like the the accent seems a little ridiculous. The story seems a little ridiculous. But it looks like it's enough fun to hold my interest. So should, oh, it will. should I be excited about this movie? I think you should watch it. I think you really dig it. Um, Tom Cruise is at, uh, is out of 10 here with his charm. He, okay. he, he uses that charm to full effect here. It's the perfect role for him even though hmm. it's the upgrade of upgrades from like super schlub. Like if you've ever right. seen a real oh yeah I saw the stuff. I saw the two pictures side by side yeah. it's like hmm, Super that's schlub. an interesting choice <laughs> yeah yeah it's more he's more like a Philip Seymour Hoffman looking dude than, uh, than no respect for the dude. dead Jesus Christ what <laughs> I said he looked like a guy he's a schlub uh, but I think that the film's strengths lie in Tom Cruise's charm and charisma right and but and also in Doug Liman's like flair like there's just yeah. shit tons of flair he's like he's like the the manager of tchotchkes you know he's just <laughs> he's got 57 pieces of flair he's 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 uh slinging the chicken flingers and he's having a good time and i think that he delivers here man he takes a story that you know is inherently pretty dynamic it's there's a lot going on with the cia with the cartels and all that stuff but he ramps it up a little bit just to kind of divorce us from or or, or separate us a little bit from the the chaff of all these other stories that have covered the same subject matter. Right. Awesome. All right. So before you go, why don't you tell people one more time how they can reach you on Twitter and listen to your show? You know what? Uh, we're the true romance film podcast. We're really active on Twitter. We're not as active as you, Dave. Who Nowhere would be near as active as you? Who would be no, good? No, nobody. <laughs> it's like you've got like a, like a, like a bionic implant or something. And it's just, it's like I have a phone, phone and a watch with me at all times where I can it's really access weird, Twitter. Man. That is strange. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's just odd, but uh, we, we, we do like to interact with people on Twitter. So that's at true romance cast. That's true with that. The E we probably should fix that, you know, come up with a better way of, of, of doing that <laughs> handle. But, uh, yeah, just reach out to us. We're there on the Googles and all that stuff. True Bromance Film Podcast. Find us. Yeah, and if you want to hear the best of True Bromance, you should just find the episodes I've been on. I mean, uh, very recently was on Kingsman, The Golden Circle. We had a good time yelling and screaming about that movie. So definitely check out True Bromance Film. Episode 49. I talked to Billy Corbin. Cooking Cut, Cowboys. Cutting you off. Dave, I'm, I'm signing <laughs> to you for homework, man. Watch that movie. I'm telling you. I think you'll dig it. And then right. just listen to the conversation. No all right everybody thanks for listening to another episode of pop culture case study and thank you to hyro of the true romance film podcast for joining us as our guest so this week we will not be doing a new release episode because i will be out of town i will be in vegas uh with my wife for our anniversary so that's super exciting sorry there will be no new episode though but there are plenty of episodes back in 
the archive. So please be sure to check those out. Look for movies you've seen. Uh, look for ideas for movies you haven't seen. Check them out and then check out the podcast. So if you'd like to connect with the show, there's a bunch of ways you can do that. You can email me at popculturecasestudy at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at PCKStudy, or you can find us on any other social media platform under the name PCKStudy or Pop Culture Case Study. That includes Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, I mean, pretty much everything out there we are on. So please feel free to come find the podcast there. But if you'd like to go the extra mile and actually throw some change our way, you can go to patreon.com slash popculturecasestudy, and there you can donate on a per-episode basis, and you can support your local independent podcast while getting some pretty cool rewards. So if you have the money to do that, we would really appreciate it. All right, so that's it for this week. Until next time, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. I like Jared Leto. Stop being such a hater. I sucks. I'll what, <laughs> Sorry. Some, you're drunk. He's had um, one good performance, maybe? And I think Which it's one? in Requiem. I think that's that's the best thing ah, he's ever done. Okay. Sure as shit ain't like Dallas Buyers Club. Oh, it's, it's stupid. Nope. Disagree. And we'll always disagree. I just I think like it's, it. it's just a new take. It's very... Well, it's fine. It's, it is a new take. It's original. Silly. That's fine. That doesn't make it good. Like oh, it's, I it's it. awful. I prefer, I prefer it over Jack Nicholson, not as much as Heath Ledger. Love's